Anniversaries are something that we celebrate or at least observe. And birthdays are actually anniversaries as well, right? Um, and uh, the, actually in, in France, French, the expression for happy birthday is joyeux anniversaire. And I know some of you are celebrating a joyeux anniversaire today and sometime this week as well. But the most common anniversaries that we hear or think about are wedding anniversaries. But I know there are couples out there who celebrate the anniversary of their first date, the anniversary of their first kiss, the first time they went shopping together. My memory isn't good enough to keep track of all those events. We also, as people, though, celebrate anniversaries of historical events, but we often call them observances. Today, we observe the 506th anniversary of the event that began the Lutheran Reformation, the posting of a sign on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, quite often when you ask people who Martin Luther is, they'll go, oh, he's that civil rights performer who was shot and killed in Memphis. Well, that's Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr. was actually named after Dr. Martin Luther, the German reformer. Um, but what, what Luther did on October 31st, 1517, 506 years ago on Tuesday, began what we was known as the Lutheran Reformation. And to be totally accurate, a lot of times the Lutheran Reformation is lumped in with the Protestant Reformation, but they're two different things. The Protestant Reformation was actually people in churches that protested that the Lutherans didn't go far enough, that they stayed too Catholic. Now, I usually don't use history a lot in my sermons, but I want to today because looking back at history gives us a deeper appreciation of what the Reformers did in recovering the gospel proclamation for us and for God's kingdom. So, what did Martin Luther do? Well, he posted a sign on the church door. He had written a series of statements that he wanted people to talk about, 95 talking points. And the subject of those talking points was the dubious practice of selling indulgences. In fact, the tract that he posted was called The Disputation of Dr. Martin Luther on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. Very short title there for his tract. And really, it was written in Latin, which was the academia language, and only doctors and lawyers and theologians knew Latin. But there was a lawyer in town in Germany who saw it posted on the church door and go, hmm, okay, I can make some money off this. Typical lawyer, right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he took it, translated it into German, took it to the local print shop, and remember that the printing press had just recently been invented, had them printed out, and then would sell them around town. And when people saw in German what Luther had written for an academic debate, it caused a stir in the town of Wittenberg. And so that's why that date of October 31st, 1517, became known as, or, saw, or 
seen as the beginning of the Lutheran Reformation. In fact, just 10 years later, uh, Luther and some of his uh, buddies were in a Braustiebel in, in, uh, in Germany there uh, having a, a stein of beer. Uh, it's celebrating the trampling out of indulgences. Beer was involved in a lot of Reformation events here. <laughs> um, but also his good friend and colleague Philip Melanchthon in, in 1548, a year after Luther's death, uh, said that this event was the start of the Lutheran Reformation in his uh, history de vita et actis Lutheri, the history of uh, the life and actions of Luther. So what did the sign say? The sign, the subject of the, of the tract, the statements, again, as the title suggests, was indulgences. And the first statement really gets right to the point. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, Poinitentum agate, which is do penance in Latin, willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. The other theses are along that same, make that same point. Luther was deeply concerned that these get-out-of-jail-free cards called indulgences were misleading the people because if you bought an indulgence, you didn't have to repent of your sin. That purchase covered your sin. Of course, the larger the sin, the greater the cost of the indulgence. In fact, they were teaching that a person could buy indulgences to shorten the time of a loved one in purgatory, a period of purification and cleansing before one actually got to heaven. There was a popular jingle at the time that the uh, sellers of indulgences would, would have sung, and it went like this, when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Luther felt that um, the church was teaching people that they could buy forgiveness, or at least buy God's favor. And he said that it can't be, that um, an indulgence can't do that. He argued that the forgiveness of sins and salvation could not be purchased like a commercial transaction. You cannot buy forgiveness. You cannot buy salvation. And from that tract then, Three major ideas developed that still to this day guide our thoughts and theological thinkings about our relationship with God. And those three major ideas to retain the Latin were, oh, my things have changed, the, the width of them. <laughs> you can't see them all now. We're sola scriptura, sola gratia, and sola fide, which means only scripture, only by grace, and only through faith. So why only scripture? Central to Luther's reform was the understanding of the primacy of holy scripture. 
Luther said that popes and councils, church councils, make errors. They make mistakes. The only true, infallible source of faith and doctrine is Holy Scripture. He acknowledged that people can know that there is a God just by observing creation. But he said creation doesn't point you to the one true God. Unbelievers are not atheists. He says, no, they are just simply idolaters. They worship what is created rather than the creator. The only place where we find the one true God revealed to us is in Holy Scripture. And then he goes on to say that the true theologian then is the one who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God through the suffering and the cross of Jesus Christ. He called that person a theologian of the cross. You see, what he is explaining here then is that the paradoxical nature of our God which was made manifest when we sang a mighty fortress. I mean, think about it. Isn't it strange that we use the image of a mighty fortress for a God who was crucified in weakness on the cross? But that is what is meant by knowing God through the suffering and cross of Jesus. The one true God is the God who died for us on the cross. And that truth is only revealed in Scripture and in Scripture alone. So why then, sola gratia? By grace alone do we see, are we reconciled to God. We're not reconciled to God by the works we do, by our good intentions, by our um, offerings, by indulgences, even by our confession and repentance. Only by grace are we reconciled to God. Luther, um, again, said that uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church at the time, at that time, um, taught that if you wanted to make it to heaven, you had to work for it. Do good works. Um, be a priest or a monk or a nun. And really, those are noble works and noble vocations. But, he argued, they don't merit you heaven itself. The only way that we can get to heaven, he said, um, is, is by God's grace. But yet, even today, there's this subtle sense within us that there's something, even if it's a little thing that we can do to help us get on the path to salvation, surely that would, um, we can at least accept Jesus into our hearts. But Luther would say, no, that would be turning acceptance into a good work that begins you on the path of salvation. God does not embrace people because of any work that they do. All our works are filthy rags. They're all tainted with sin, even the least of them, usually by that sin of pride. God's kingdom is not a meritocracy. 
only by the grace of God and the undeserved kindness of God are we part of his kingdom. We are saved only by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So then, why sola fide, faith alone? Because faith alone receives the gifts of grace. This came to be known as justification by grace through faith alone. There's a great divide between God and humanity. God is holy, we are not. You and I are in need of reconciliation with God. And that reconciliation took place when Jesus died on the cross to atone, to pay for, to delete our account of sin. And we receive that grace then, not by our works, but only through faith. Faith in the saving work of Jesus on the cross. Then and only then are we reconciled to God. In my confirmation class, I used to ask my students, okay, I want you to raise your hand if you are righteous. And typically no one would raise their hand. And then I would say, now, I want, to ra- I want you to raise your hand if you've been baptized. All the hands would go up. And I would say, that's exactly why you're here to learn the gifts that you've been given in baptism. Because you probably know that you have been forgiven in baptism, that you have been given faith in your baptism. But Scripture also tells you that you were baptized into Christ. And because you were baptized into Christ, you now have Christ's righteousness and are an heir of eternal life. It seems strange that, you know, that's a hard concept even today for us to apply to ourselves. We think that if we say that we're righteous, that we're talking about a self-righteousness, you know, our achievements, our accomplishments, you know, or that we've kept the commandments perfectly. And we know that no one can do that. And we're right, no one can do that. But fortunately, by the grace of God, Our breaking of the law is not an issue. On my own, I'm guilty, but I'm not on my own. I am in Christ, and in Christ I am righteous. It's not my righteousness. No, it's a justus alienum, an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside ourselves. It is Christ's righteousness given to us. On my own, I have no righteousness. But being in Christ, I have Christ's righteousness. And now am an heir of eternal life. Here's Luther in his own words. Through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. And all that he has becomes ours. Even more, he himself becomes ours. As Scripture says, we hold that a man is justified by faith. The movement that Luther 
began impacted more than just the religious world. It impacted the social structure, the political structure of that time tremendously. A, a tidal wave of reforms came about. But if there's one thing that you remember from this morning, I want you to remember this word, only. Only Scripture only by grace, only through faith. 